Ushers, we need this couple removed from the church. You're not supposed to wear a hat in church, so I'm taking my hat off. But uh, next week's the Super Bowl. How many of you pulling for Kansas City next week? And how many of you pulling for the 49ers? That is sad. That is sad. Let me give you three reasons why you need to root for the Kansas City Chiefs next week, all right? Reason number one, they have some of the best barbecue in the whole country. San Francisco, all they've got is Alcatraz. That's it, Alcatraz. There's nothing else to see up there. Number two, number two, my wife is from Kansas City. So you don't want to offend her, all right? But here's the third reason why you need to root for the Kansas City Chiefs. Their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, he looks, he looks just like my grandson. This is a spiritual church we have here. You all know that, right? Well, how many of you guys you came to church today? Let's thank Michael and Christine for leading us in worship today. This year, we have a, like a dual theme. We have a 10-year theme, which is a decade of destiny, 2020 to 2030. And then we have a theme just for this year, which is leaping in expectation, which is a definition of the word hope. When you hope, it's not that you're wishing. Hope is more of trusting and believing, expecting that God is going to be there. Amen? Amen. So I don't know if you know this, but I want you to look at the artwork or the graphic. Uh, I've not really explained this. Uh, this is our third week uh, through this series. And we have over 300 groups that are meeting in life groups. We have over 3,000 people involved in life groups. So thank you for doing that. Uh, even though I'd like to see those numbers double, uh, I'm thankful for the 3,000 people in our church that are involved in life groups. But if you notice, there's the moon up there. And the moon is, I don't know if you know how far away the moon is. It's, about 200, it's over 200,000 miles uh, from the earth. And we have sent men and people up to the moon. They've actually walked on the surface of the moon. Think about the faith that it took to launch uh, a human being from the earth and land on the moon and walk on the moon. It's unbelievable. Then you've got a bridge, and of course a bridge is uh, you know, a picture of a kind of a new beginning or you're going somewhere, and if you look off in the background, you see the mountains, and the mountains to me are always adventurous, it's like another place, another planet almost. You've got the water. You've got a ship that is sailing. And, you know, that's always a step of faith anytime you get out on the water. And perhaps you're going to go somewhere out in the ocean. But I also want you to note that there's a lighthouse. Do you see the lighthouse? And it's the idea that God has called each of us in some way, some form, some fashion, to a life of adventure with him. And that no matter where we go or how difficult it becomes, that the Lord will always lead the way. That's what that lighthouse represents. He's going to be there through the good times and through the difficult times. Amen? Uh, I, I want you to take your, your outline. We have an outline inside there. 
this is our third uh, week in this series called Leaping in Expectation. Looking at the next 10 years, looking at this year, we've looked at we should put our hope and faith in God alone. Last week we talked about dwelling in the promised land. And today I want to speak to you on the subject of building something great for God. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to get, uh, we're going to read that in a, in, a, in, a, in a little bit. But find Romans 4 and go ahead and find 1 Chronicles 29 because we're going to kind of read through some, some text there. Romans 4 and 1 Chronicles 29. Many moons ago, before uh, Al Gore invented the internet, <laughs> I was a ninth grader uh, sitting in a church service on a Sunday night. And during the invitation, just like we have an invitation here today, I stepped forward. I was 15 years of age, ninth grader, publicly declared that I want to commit to becoming a minister of the gospel and to serve as a pastor for my vocation. Those were the days where you came forward and they, you had to, they stood you up and, and, and told the whole church why you were coming. Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? But um, my dad, of course, was preaching, and I remember putting my hand inside my dad's big hand, and he said, son, why have you come forward tonight? And I said, dad, I'm coming forward to dedicate my life to be one day a pastor of a great church. I did not say I want to be a pastor of a church. I said, Dad, I'm coming to dedicate my life because one day I want to be a pastor of a great church. And I asked myself this question, where, where did that come from? Where did that dream come from? Where did that calling come from? First and foremost, it came from God. God put that dream inside of me. And for the past four decades, I have lived that dream. And as I'm on the threshold of the next 10 years, the next decade, between now and the year 2030, I want to continue to live out that dream that God put in my heart as a ninth grader to be a pastor and lead a great church. I believe that everything that you see here, everything that you experience here at this church is just the tip of the iceberg of what the Lord has in store for us for the next 10 years as we build an even greater church, not for me, not for you, but for the Lord God. I have to make that point very, very clearly. The past few months, I've been thinking about all the reasons why here at Shepherd we want to do something great for God. Why is it that we are not satisfied with status quo? What is it that drives us, that motivates us to be our very best? to build something again, something great for God, not for us, but for God. There are many reasons why we do this. Now, I have 10. I want to go over. How many of you think I'll get through all 10? Raise your hand. Yeah, a few of you. Oh, you are my true friends. How many of you think we're not going to get through all 10? We're not, we're just not, we can't get through all 10. All right, there are some doubting Thomases out here. Number one, write this down. Our God is worthy of our best. He is worthy of our best. I've always heard this phrase, I serve at the pleasure of the president. 
Well, I'm here to tell you that we serve at the pleasure of the creator God of the universe. The people in Malachi's day, they were giving God leftovers. They were giving God less than their best. They were giving thanks to God, but they weren't sacrificial in nature. And God got upset, and he said in verse 8, when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, God asked, is that not wrong? And then God said, why don't you try offering those things to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? And the idea is, if the governor wouldn't be happy with the way you're acting, then why would I? Because I'm so much greater than the governors is the point there. Verse 11, God said, my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord what? Almighty. Our God is a great God. He's greater than any governor. He's greater than any president. He's greater than any rock star. He's greater than any Hollywood star. He's greater than any athlete. He's greater than LeBron. He's greater than Kobe. He's greater than Muhammad. He's greater than any CEO or CFO. You ought to serve him, honor him, praise him, worship him, give to him, love him, glorify him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind for one reason and one reason only. You don't need another nine reasons. You just need this reason. Our God is a great God. Amen. Number two, second reason why I want to do great things for God is because he's done great things for us. Amen. God is the creator God of this universe. He created the world. He created you. He, he put the stars. He just put them up there in place just for you. He put the sun. He set the sun in place just for you. He made three-fourths of the surface of the earth water just so you'd always have something to drink. He did that just for you. He created you in Genesis. All you have to do is read the story of creation in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3. It's the story of creation. God created you. You say, well, I don't believe in creation. Uh, well, I want you to know I don't believe in evolution. Amen. I don't. Amen. I, I know some of you think that's how we got here. But I don't believe that. I, I, I also don't believe in the Big Bang Theory. I don't think there's an explosion, and after an explosion, the earth and all of its glories here. I, 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 that, that's the odds of that, there, there are no odds. I don't, believe, I don't believe you evolved from a monkey. I just don't believe that. Now, I know, I know some of you believe that, but... I always joke around when someone says they believe in evolution. I always say, so you think you came from a monkey. Yeah, that's why they, and I always say this, you are way too cute to come from a monkey. <laughs> I believe that God just spoke into existence the heavens and the earth and all that is in it. The Bible says in James 1 verse 17 that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not shift like, change like shifting shadows. 
Everything and anything that is good or perfect in this world came from God. Therefore, I want to give him my best because he gave me his best. The heavens, my life, the air that I breathe, the water that I drink, the money that I spend, the church that I serve, the Bible that I hold, the spirit that is within me, the grace that covers my sin, the love that I have experienced, the salvation that I cling to, the family that I belong to. God gave all that to us. Certainly, I should be willing to give him my very, very best. And when you think about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, he gave us his very best. He didn't just give things to us. He gave us his very best. And Jesus, of course, came and died on a cross so that you and I could have everlasting life. How could I ever give him less than my best? Why would I want to do something small and insignificant for him after all that he's done for me? Hallelujah. Number three, I never want to be lukewarm about anything. I don't know why, but God made me, an, I'm an all-in or nothing kind of a person. I'm either all-in or I don't even want to be involved at all. Not going to get involved in something and do it halfway. I don't care if I'm coaching my son's basketball team, one day my grandson's basketball team, or if I, I took up the sport of cycling, or if I'm working on a sermon. I just want to do it with all of my heart. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, whatever, I want you to say whatever. I want you to hold your hands up like this. Move your hands. The Bible says, Ecclesiastes 9, 10, look at this verse. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I don't care if you're a trash truck driver. Be the best trash truck driver in the city of Los Angeles. Especially if you're in my block. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't care if you're a piano teacher, a street sweeper, a surgeon, a nurse, or if you're just out washing your car or painting a wall, or you're singing a song. Sing it with all your might. Now, I know that God called me to pastor. God called me to preach. He called me to tease USC fans and all cat lovers. So I want to do that with all my heart. When you gave your life to Christ, you automatically became a part of the body of Christ. People think, well, I'm saved, but I don't need to be involved in the church. Listen, the day you got saved, the moment God redeemed you, you automatically became a part of the church. And we are to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities to serve the local body of Christ, the local church. In the same way you expect me to give my all when I'm preaching or leading the church, God expects you to give your all when you're serving or volunteering or using your gifts here at Shepherd Church. Yes, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, God said, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. He says, I wish you were one or the other. Revelation 3.16 says, so because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Even God can't stomach a Christian that's lukewarm. So I want you to know as for me and my house, my life, my family, my heart, my devotion, I could never do something half-hearted for the Lord God and all God's people said. Amen. 
Now, number four, get this point. Another reason why we want to do something great here for God, to whom much has been given, much is required. To whom much has been given, much is required. You remember the story of the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. One guy got five talents, one guy got two talents, and one guy got one talent. And the guy with five talents, he went out and made five more. He doubled up. He's now got ten. The guy that had two talents, he made two more talents. He doubled up. He's now got four. But the guy with one talent, he was scared, so he went out and he buried it. And when the master came back, oh, he was happy with this guy that doubled up his five. He was happy with the guy that doubled up his two. But that guy that said, Lord, here's my one talent, he did nothing with his talent. The Bible says that the master said, throw that worth, these are his words, not mine. I I would have been a whole lot nicer than this, I think. He said, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, that's pretty uh, dramatic. Yes, it is. But the point is, to whom much has been given, much is required. I believe that this is a five-talented church. I mean, just look around at where we are and how God has blessed us. We have the best location in all of Los Angeles. We're on a freeway with a freeway access point. Who, what other church has that? We don't have much property, but it's really long and it's really skinny. It goes the whole length of the freeway. Have you ever noticed that? People just driving by looking at this church every day. We have an In-N-Out burger right across the street. You can't beat that. It's one of the last few areas in all of Los Angeles that they're still building homes and people are moving into the area. Hopefully they're looking for a church. We have the best weather. We have the best facilities. We are a multiracial, multi-ethnic church, multi-generational church. We have, we have the best looking people. I know you'd like that point. We live in the greatest country in the whole world, the United States of America. But if we had some way to measure the amount of talent and abilities and skills here in this room, don't you think that God expects more out of us than some little church out there in the country where I've worked and served, where there's no resources for the most part and there's no stores across the street and there's no, not many people living in the area. Don't you see how to whom much has been given, much is expected? Number five, I never, ever, 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 ever want to be outworked by the devil. The Bible says that the devil comes only to still kill and to destroy in John 10, 10. 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He is, why, he is looking for someone to devour. I preached a whole sermon on this. The devil never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never takes a day off. He works 24-7 just trying to rob you and to destroy you. I've always felt like if I'm lazy, 
if I don't give my all, if we don't build a great church, that somehow the devil is going to claim a few more victories. And I never wanted to give him that opportunity. R.C. Sproul wrote an article set. It's called, Right Now Counts Forever. Right now counts forever. And the reason for that is because the value of a soul and the length of eternity. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon once called The Preciousness of Time. And that sermon, they say, helped launch the Great Awakening. And I'm telling you, the devil is working overtime. Not, not, he did not walk, he's not working normal time. He's working overtime trying to destroy you, trying to destroy this city, trying to destroy your family, trying to destroy your children, trying to destroy this church. I will never, ever want to give less than my best simply because of what he's up to. Right. Number six. How many of you think now I'm going to get through this list? Number six, I want my life and faith to glorify God. I want my life and my faith to glorify God. What motivates you to get up out of bed uh, on a Monday? Is it to acquire more possessions? Is it to work your way up the corporate ladder? Is it to acquire more fame and popularity? Maybe, maybe you get up just so you can pay some bills. I think our main purpose for being on this earth is to glorify God. And sometimes it becomes very difficult to do that when God gives you so many blessings. You start to think that somehow you deserve these blessings and that these blessings come from your own hand and from your own strength and from your own ingenuity instead of understanding they really all came from God. But oftentimes it becomes even more difficult to glorify God when you're going through difficult times in your life. I want you to look at Romans 4, verse 18. And again, we've, we've been talking about hope uh, this, uh, this year so far leaping in expectation. The Bible says in Romans 4, 18, Abraham against, against, say the word against, against all hope, Abraham in hope, he believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. You know the story of Abraham. Uh, he was, uh, uh, God had called him and told him that one day his children would outnumber the stars in the sky and he got to be really, really old and still he had no children. But God had promised him one day. We talked a little bit about that last week in church. And he's like 100 years old. And his wife is 90. Now, I think you know this, but when you're 90, you can't really have babies anymore. But look what that, let's read that verse one more time. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope, he believed. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, one day I'm going to preach a sermon 
called Yet. <laughs> Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave what? Glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was accredited to him as righteousness. When things are not going the way you think they're supposed to go, do you cling to the promises of God? Does your faith strengthen during that period? Do you glorify God just holding on to the promises of God when things aren't going right in your life? Two nights ago, Friday night, a lady in this church passed from this life into the next. One year ago, February, she had a report that she had cancer. And for the last 11, 12 months, she battled like a warrior. We prayed over her, we anointed her with oil, we claimed the promises of God. And yet two nights ago, this woman who was here one year ago, last 12 months, she's been, she's been battling this in the hospital, Cedar Sinai Hospital, while her family was around her praying over her, she graduated into the next life. And during those last few days and those last few hours, they asked her, Do you, are you worried, are you scared, are, are you fearful? And she said, no. She glorified God in her life, and she glorified God in her death. And today, she's in heaven, and they're throwing a big party up there for her right now. I believe that. I believe that. And everything we do on this life, whether things are good or bad, we should live just trying to bring glory and honor to a holy God. Number seven, if others are building a foundation upon ours, then let's build a great foundation. Why would I want to leave something for the next generation that was small and insignificant? Why would God want us to do that? David in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, he wanted to build a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. I believe at first his motivations were wrong. If you go through the text, he kind of wanted to do it to himself for himself to look good. I think eventually he got to the point where he realized that this needed to be done for God. But God told David, David, you're not going to build this temple. And I'm not going to let you do it. But your son, Solomon, we're going to let Solomon build it. So David knew, he knew that God would never allow him to build this structure. However, he did everything possible to set things up for his son to build it and to be successful. If you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and again, this is, this, he's already been told he can't build it. And yet he does all this just for Solomon. The Bible says that King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, he's, well, how do I put this? He's young and he is, uh, uh, he is he's a millennial. <laughs> That's what he's saying there. He doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, the task is great. 
Because this palatial structure is not for man, but it's for the Lord God. With all of my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onks for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, and all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings and for the gold work and the silver work and for the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who else is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? David did everything he possibly could do except build it himself because God told him he couldn't, but he laid the foundation for his son. It's interesting that this is the passion place set and I actually preached a sermon. This, this circle thing rotates around in the Passion Play. And if you remember, I preached a sermon once where David actually purchased the land where the temple would be built. Do you remember that sermon? And uh, that land was purchased and that temple was built about a thousand years before the time of Christ. That's 3,000 years ago. Everybody say 3,000. Now that temple that Solomon built, that David kind of did the, the preliminary work, uh, that temple was built, it was destroyed, it was rebuilt, it was restored. Finally, it was done again by Herod. The foundation of Herod's temple is still there on that same piece of property. It's what we call today the Western Wall. Again, that temple was there, that land for 3,000 years, and in that same way, this facility, this piece of property, this church, this land could be used for God to reach this city, not for the next 10 years, not for the next 100 years. This facility could be used for God for the next 3,000 years if God so deems. I want you to think about that. That's why we do everything we can to raise up the next generation. We have a, our youth pastor, Dusty and Brianne, and we're always trying to get young people up here on this stage, and we have the best children's area, the best children uh, coaches, and trying to develop the young people. Why are we doing that? Well, because one day we're all going to be gone, and we're going to have to hand all this off to the next generation. So why don't we give them a head start in building something great for the kingdom of God here in Los Angeles and all God's people said, amen. amen. Number eight, number eight, there are greater rewards in heaven. I, I wanna make this clear in all the things that we do here on this earth, we do not do them to inherit eternal life. We get to go to heaven based on our faith in Jesus Christ. However, once you're saved, after you're saved, God has called all of us as we serve here on this earth to do good works. You're supposed to do good works. You're not saved by your good works, but you're supposed to do good works. And the Bible says over and over again, I can show you many, many scriptures that talk about that everything we do, not some things, but 
There's some scriptures that say everything we do and every word that we speak, that one day we will be held accountable, but we will be rewarded in heaven for the things we do here on this earth. There's a couple of passages there in Romans chapter 2 and also in Revelation chapter 20 at the end of time where it talks about that God has a book and he's written everything down. And that day when we get to go to heaven, we're going to be rewarded for everything we've ever done. Well, if that's true, why would not want to do my very, very best so that when I get up there that I have as many rewards as he's, he possibly can give me? That's just common sense to me. The Bible also talks about that we'll have crowns and there'll be jewels in those crowns. And uh, I, I want to make this clear. When you get to heaven, I don't think you're going to be walking around feeling envious of other people's crowns. Like, I, you know, I just got saved last week. I've only been saved for seven days, so I got this little tiny crown versus a guy that's been saved his whole life. He's been serving the Lord, and he's got this gigantic crown. <laughs> and you're up there with your little tiny crown. We're not going to be envious of one another up there, but we will be wearing different crowns with different jewels in those crowns. Now, let me tell you what I think is going to happen. You're going to get up there, and you're going to get your crown. I don't think you're going to walk around all cocky, you know, showing everybody off your crown. I think all of us are going to take our crowns and go lay them at the feet of Jesus. They're all going to be around him because we will realize that anything we ever accomplished on this earth was only because of him. Somebody needs to give a shout of praise to the Lord on that. But if that's true, and I believe it is, I want to lay up all the treasures I possibly can in heaven. After all, treasures here on earth only last for a few years, but treasures in heaven last for all of eternity. Number nine, as we prepare to close, there's going to be a great cloud of witnesses. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, there's a great cloud of witnesses, I believe, watching us some of whom have paid the ultimate sacrifice. I, I, I don't know how this works, but I've read, I've read Hebrews 12. It says, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that so easily entangles us, the sin that entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that God has called for us. So there's some connection between the cloud of witnesses and us running the race cloud of witnesses. And I know, I know this, this might not be theologically sound, but for me, I just have always imagined that the Apostle Paul, he's up there watching what we're doing right here. Daniel is up there watching us. Joseph, Elijah, and Elisha, and Isaiah, and, and uh, Jeremiah, they're all up there watching us. I, I believe that Jesus is watching us. I also think that great cloud of witnesses are people that we know, our friends and our family that have gone on before us into heaven. Uh, Dr. Ed Chris, is maybe the godliest man I ever met, was a member of this church. He, he died many years ago. I think he's up there watching what we're doing. Dr. Jess Moody, I, I, I believe he's watching. I believe my grandfather, who was a pastor, he died when I was four years of age. I think he's watching what his grandson is doing down here. I just believe that. I think that woman that went to be with the Lord on Friday night, 
I think she's up there watching us. And I've always wanted to run and run with perseverance, but I not only think about the cloud of witnesses, I think about those people who died, they're in heaven because they actually died for their faith. They were martyrs for Jesus. I always think of Stephen in Acts chapter seven. He was the first martyr ever for Christ. I think of Peter, who is said to have been killed by Nero and was crucified upside down. I think of Polycarp, who was a friend of John, who wrote the book of John. Polycarp was burned at the stake for his faith. I think of John Wycliffe, who was the first person to really understand that the Bible needed to be translated from Latin into English just so you could read it. After he died, they were so upset with him, they exhumed his body and burned his ashes and all of his writings. I think of Jim Elliott and his four missionary colleagues who were killed on January 8, 1956, while trying to reach the Wyodani people in Ecuador. We have a man in our church, Bill Ewing, who produced a movie called The End of the Spear that talks about how these missionaries went to these, the most dangerous tribe on the face of the earth and tried to lead them to Christ. And that, that tribe took the lives of those men, yet their wives continued to go into that area and eventually won them over and they became believers of Jesus Christ. And when I think about all the people who've died for the sake of Christ, how could I ever not give my best? How could I ever be lackadaisical in my faith? Why would I ever want to do something small for God? But I have a dream and a desire to do a great work for God. And the last and final reason, and all God's people said, amen, amen. is the greater the light, the more the darkness dis disappears. John 12, Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. You see, I look across the San Fernando Valley, there's two million people that live in this valley. You can go right up to the prayer tower. It's partially why we built it. So you can look across the valley. And when you look across this valley, you have to understand that most of the people in this city are lost. Most of the people in this city are living in darkness. The only thing that can save a person is Jesus. Jesus is the only person who can save a person. Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And anyone who believes in me will no longer live in darkness. You give me a thousand uh, solutions to the problems of this city, I will give you one solution to the problems of this city. We need Jesus. And I, I just want to ask you, are you all in? Are you, are you fully committed? This, 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 this is not a game. Some people, they just go to church, sit, listen, and go home. And not realizing that we're here to be a light for the people who live in this city that they might find a way to God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Are you giving your all? Are you working? Are you serving? Are you volunteering? Again, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Are you using your gifts and talents here? Are you on board? Let's do something great for God. Not for us, but for God. Because this city is lost and they need Jesus Christ. Let's stand and bow our heads for just a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for this church and for all that you have done. I do pray that this, some people don't realize that this church has been in existence for a hundred years. For a hundred years, people have been working and serving faithfully for us to get where we are today. But there is still so much work to be done. There are still so many souls yet to be won. There are still so many battles that have yet to be fought and hills to be climbed in areas of darkness in this city that need the light and love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that somehow as you've put this fire and this passion and this dream and desire inside of me, I pray that you would put it inside of every single person who's here today. I pray that we would realize how great you are and how good you've been to us. And all of these things, and there's many more, I narrowed the list, I narrowed the list down to 10 of just reasons on why we should use our gifts and talents for you. And I pray that today, as we sing a hymn of decision, if there are people here today who are not involved, they're not plugged in, they're just floating in and floating out, just kind of a lackadaisical attitude, I pray, God, that you would help people to come today and realize that God would rather us be red hot or ice cold than just lukewarm. I pray that every single person here today will learn to love you and learn to serve you with all their heart, all their strength, their soul, and their mind. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.